For the first time in history, five generations representing nearly a century of experience are active in today's workforce. With that comes both challenges and opportunities in terms of communications, expectations, and compliance. In this episode of Your Brain at Work, we bring a generationally diverse panel of thinkers at the Neuroleadership Institute, including Dr. Michaela Simpson, our Global Head of Research and Innovation, Nicole Hoskins, our Global Head of People, and Arielle Rolden, a Business Development Associate, to explore differences and commonalities across the five generations bringing their brains to today's workforce. I'm Evan McFalls, and you're listening to Your Brain at Work. Enjoy! Hello, everyone. Um, I'm super excited to be with you here today and to share the stage uh, with Nicole and Ariel. And today we are going to talk about generational diversity at work. And sometimes, you know, we find we're so much focused when we think about diversity and inclusion. We often think in terms of, you know, gender and ethnicity and, and race and things like that. But sometimes we overlook the fact that something that we all share, right? Uh, we all have an age, we are alive and existing. And, um, and, you know, how do we think about our experience in the workplace through the lens of our age group from the generations from which we belong? And so we thought we'd get together and have this conversation around that. It'll be a very informal conversation. I'll talk a little bit about, you know, some of the um, the, the sayings around generations um, that are out there in the ether, in the blogosphere, even in the in the workplace. And we really want to find out what is it actually like? What are people's experiences and how can we go about creating even more inclusive environments in the workplace, keeping in mind that generational perspective? Now, to start us off, I'd like us to do a um, a poll. So we're going to launch a poll and it will magically appear on our screens. And I would love for all of you to participate in that. And we'll just there it is. Okay, which gener generational category do you fall into? So we're, we're, you know, we're doing the five. The traditionalists are considered the older ones. I believe it's like the um, the pre baby boomer, so uh, before 1946, basically. And um, the baby boomers, I believe, technically are considered, but 1946 and 1964 or so. And then Gen X, who are actually a little bit, um, there's I think a, a quite a gap there. And then the millennials and Gen Z. So most people can probably um, self-identify in a way. So take your best guess. And we just want to get a sense. And this is all anonymous, in case you were wondering. And um, Shelby or whoever is launching, we have a great team uh, here behind the scenes who are running this. So whenever you feel that it's time to share the findings. So it looks like we have quite a share of Gen X. I will self-identify as someone from Gen X and uh, Nicole as well. And so it looks like we have uh, nearly half of our audience are Gen Xers. And then we have baby boomers, yay, welcome. And we have millennials and we have a few Gen Zs and um, no traditionalists, which is understandable because um, they're quite the, the older generation there. So it's great to have all these voices. Please also let me say that <laughs> I know Karen just said, woohoo for Gen X, we're rarely a majority. I was just speaking to Nicole that um, I found that sometimes I feel like the Gen Xers were kind of overlooked because there's so much about the millennials and there's so much about the baby boomers. And it's like, yeah, we're here too. So um, yes, yeah, so we want to hear all your voices and we do encourage you at any and all times to write in the chat and um, and we'll definitely be looking at those as we go through our, our conversation today. So with that, I'd like to kick us off. We can move to the next slide. Um, a lot of you probably heard, you know, I've just, we've just taken some of these things that, you know, the headlines say about the different generations, the millennials, they're so entitled, they're so selfish, you know, they just go from job to job, they don't stay committed to a job. I remember when the millennials kind of came of age, there was so much about the millennials, and a lot of it was not the most positive about them. Um, and then the Gen Zers came along and people were talking about how spoiled they are. And some of you might hear, now we are not endorsing any of these. We're just talking about the things that have 
been said and in certain ways are still being said um, generally about these uh, different generations. And so with the Gen Z, you know, that they're spoiled, they want, don't really want to do the hard work. And even, I don't know, some of you, because I know some of you are not all from the U.S., we have, uh, and now, of course, I can't remember the phrase, what is it, the the, the snowflake, um, the snowflake or the teacup or the fragile teacup. So like snowflake is like everybody's special. I do believe everybody's special, but in some ways it was this thing of like, oh, all these kids were taught that they're so special and, um, you know, eh, that shouldn't have been done, but hey, you know, anyway, these are the things that have been said about them and they're, uh, oh, right. That everyone gets a trophy generation. Thanks for saying that, Portia. And that, you know, they're attached to their phones. And then we have the traditionalists. And of course, those are the older, I will say even older. And um, I know they're not represented here, but those are the ones who are going to born before uh, 1946, before the age, before the baby boomers. You know, they have, you know, there's more traditionalists, like it says, you know, there's a respect for authority. Things go a certain way. And, you know, because they're older, they're going to struggle to adapt to new processes and um, you know, I do have to make a, a claim here. I, I have a friend who is 78 years old and, you know, we'll be going for a walk and I'll, we'll be talking about something and she will just whip out her phone and she will just have all that information so quickly. She's on social media. She puts me to shame. So, you know, we have these stereotypes, but as we know, not, stere not all stere stereotypes don't always hold. Okay. Then we have the baby boomers and they're considered... Um, oh, okay, Danny, if we want, we can language. Although I, you know, personally, I think older is good. But if some people want to say more senior, go for it. You know, we, we can adapt the language that feels, feels good for us. Um, baby boomers, that's this thing that they're privileged. You know, they've had so much handed to them. They've been in the workforce so, for so long, holding leadership positions. They should step down and let younger people step up. They're technologically inept. They're resistant to change. And then we have the Gen Z, the Gen Xers who um, uh, go, I guess, the late 60s until like the early 80s, I believe. Um, you know, they're, they're cynical, skeptical, and, you know, we're some, somewhat tech savvy there. And um, so these are the broad scopes. And if you do a lot of reading, you'll, you'll hear that this is, like the first time you have five generations. Now, how we slice and dice generations is up for you know that certain uh, places that will do surveys will have younger millennials and older millennials, and then have Gen Z, baby boomers, and Gen X. Some will have what you see here. So I just want to say that there's no set way to describe or, um, you know, kind of categorize these generations. And we're just framing this in terms of what is out there in the ether, because we also have um, a, a deeper message here, as I'm sure you'll, you'll realize. So um, why don't we move to the next slide? And we're going to talk about these myths that are out there. So just kind of taking it a click deeper from what we saw on that earlier slide. Um, you know, these myths, or even stereotypes, if you will, that, you know, the Gen Zers, they're driven by compensation. You know, they just want to, you know, have their money and that's what's, that's most important to them. And millennials, you know, they want to have their work-life balance more than any other generation. And, and in, a, in a way, these myths are almost as if there's something wrong if people are wanting these things. But these are some of the things that are said about these different generations. About Gen Xers are saying they're most driven by job security. And that boomers are uh, prioritize, you know, the transactional, like how much am I getting paid? You know, how can I get away? How can I get ahead at work? But what we're finding, um, if we move to the next slide, is what evidence is showing. And these are through um, different surveys. Um, this one is coming out of uh, McKinsey uh, just, just recently. And you know, when it comes to you know the the myth that Gen Zers are driven by compensation, actually they found that um, it's an it's important, but it's number three on their list. What's more important to them actually is a career development and and meaningful work. And um, it was the other groups actually where uh, compensation was higher. Um, for millennials, saying you know that they prioritize work life balance, it's a lot of basically across the groups, they value work-life balance. And so the the younger with the younger millennials, it wasn't more so than than the other groups. 
And it actually was, um, you know, when it when they think about taking on a new job, they're really looking at career development and compensation. And and so and that was for the millennials. And we moved to the Gen Xers. They um, uh, a top reason for them to stay at their job is um, is meaningful work. And that's really, you know, more so than job security is actually meaningful work. And a reason that they'll leave is uncaring leadership. And then with the boomers, they, um, rather than them saying, you know, what, uh, what pay and getting ahead at work, that's not really what's as important to them. It's caring leadership and it's meaningful work. And those are the same reasons they'd, they'd leave. Basically, if they didn't have caring leadership and they didn't have meaningful work, they're more likely to leave. So these are some of the things that are happening. Um, and I haven't been monitoring the chat. So before we move on, would love to um, take a look here and see what's there and ask Nicole and Ariel, if you've, have you noticed anything um, that you'd like to add before we move on uh, to the next slide? As you're taking a look at the chat, I will just add that what the evidence is suggesting is really interesting. Um, especially as it relates to, you know, work-life balance being important across the board, right? Like that's not just a millennial thing. That's maybe something that the millennials inspired the other generations to be more focused on potentially, but it's uh, it's really across the board. Everybody's looking for the best possible work-life balance. And that, I wonder if that's uh, in your research, if you found that that's become more important in the last, you know, three to five years, or if that's something that's always been the case. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting thing. I'm I'm not sure. We'd have to look at the 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 research going back, but I I'm wondering, and I'm I imagine there are different factors. I mean, for one, I can imagine COVID right um, brought that to the fore, but I think that was still in the ether, wouldn't you say, Nicole? Um, just kind of anecdotally and observationally, uh, work life balance of maybe age as people started to have children, which, you know, you hit a certain age, you start to have children, that becomes perhaps more of an issue. But even now with the younger ones, that is also very important to them and they might not necessarily have children. So it'd be really interesting to, to look deeper into that. Observationally, from my perspective as a Gen Xer, right, I think of the generation that came before us as sort of a, a, a the, the work attitude being like, you just, you go, you do your work. And if you don't like it, you know, that's maybe okay. Like, like you just, yeah. you just do what you got to do mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, maybe work-life balance or like this uh, drive for independence that sometimes is sometimes is ascribed to Gen Xers um, is, is, is not something that was observationally, right. Based on my own experiences, maybe not something that was shared by the generation that came before us, the boomers, but maybe now um, it's something that everybody's really much more interested in like life is too short. Let's, let's see what kind of balance we can get. And so I wonder if maybe the millennials did sort of inspire other generations to be yeah. more focused in that, because I don't, I don't think Gen X inspired. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I, yeah. I'm not exactly sure where we fall into all of that, but yeah, I don't think we did inspire that um, necessarily. And, and I'm also thinking about, and again, this is all supposition where you know, were we even allowed to ask for those things? And, you know, we definitely, the Gen Xers had more, you know, there, maybe there was a, a less of a struggle in terms of like gender issues than women who came before us who had to be like, um, you know, wear the power suits and, and maybe the baby boomers can speak to that in the audience. And, you know, it's almost like you had to, um, you know, not be as feminine and act like a man. So maybe you couldn't talk about children or just generally work-life balance. Um, but uh, I, I wanted to leave that into kind of kind of stigmas or things you're not really allowed to talk about. And I would just love to highlight, I just saw something I haven't um, read in great detail. There's kind of conversation about old or senior or better. And I was even thinking of the cultural context that like in the United States, there is kind of a, a there is a stigma or a negative connotation around getting older, whereas in other cultures, it's something to be celebrated. It's something to be respected and honored. And so and then even within the U.S., there are different cultures who might have different attitudes around getting older. So, you know, I just want to note that that language does matter and and to be aware of whatever culture you're in. Um, of what those connotations are to be open um, to that and be, yeah, and just be aware that, um, you know, being younger can actually be a stigma 
being called younger, being called older can be a stigma and or vice versa. So um, so I'd love to bring you into the conversation, Ariel. Uh, what what is coming up for you as we're as we're chatting here? Yeah, absolutely. This is very interesting to me to, to see the headline versus evidence for um, Generation Z, because I, I do think compensation is definitely important. But um, for me, when looking for a job, career development is the biggest thing. And it's something that I always ask in every um, interview, because I don't want to just think about the current position. I want to think about what skills can I develop? Like, where can I go? Where can my career go? Um, where will I be in five years? Where will I be in 10 years? Um, so it's nice to see that the evidence is supporting that. And uh, to go along with what you guys were saying about work-life balance, that's also really important to me and <laughs> um, the other people that I know in, in Generation Z to know that we're working and, and doing something that's meaningful, but that we also have a really full life. And um, yeah, so, so it's nice to see, to see this data. So I have a quick question for you. So I know you're not speaking for all Gen Zers and, um, and neither Nicole nor I are speaking for all Gen Xers. But would you say like for your own and maybe your friends as well, the, you know, they're of taking work-life balance into consideration. Was that already pre-existing before COVID and lockdown and all of that? Or did it become more of a, a factor um, because of COVID and the lockdown? Um, I think... I think that for me, when well, COVID hit when I was um, a junior in college. And so throughout my four years of college, there wasn't much balance because there was class. And then after class, there was work for class <laughs> for tomorrow, for the next class. So there was very, very little life balance. Um, my, my life was very, very focused on school. So I think that graduating in general, I was like, OK, now I don't um, now I get to have a little bit more time to myself. So it was something that was important to me so that I can have a a good work-life balance. Great. Thanks for saying that. And also stating that, right, a lot of Gen Zers were actually in school um, until very recently, or still some are still in school. So why don't we move to the next um, slide? And at NLI, we like to talk about conventional wisdom. And so conventional wisdom says, you know, the generations are so different. You know, they have different values, have different attitudes, different preferences. So that's the conventional wisdom. But what research is revealing, and this is, um, you know, generally across the board, um, but most recently in this um, this McKinsey article saying, guess what? The work preferences across the generations are they're more similar than different. And I would say that's often the case when we think about differences between any kind of groups. Often there are more differences within a group than there are across the groups, and so. I will say one of these things of like, yes, we were talking about generational diversity and um, and how we kind of, as humans, kind of put people in categories, but ultimately we're all people who have similar desires and preferences. Maybe the degrees to which we have them might vary, but they're very similar. And so in that vein, if we move to the next slide, these are just some interesting um, survey findings. Um, this one is from Indeed, and it's basically, uh, this has to do with mental health. So this all has to do with mental health. So basically, we have 65% of baby boomers, they said that their jobs have negatively impacted their mental health in the past 12 months. So 65% of baby boomers, 64% of Gen Zers, 61% of millennials, and 55% of Gen X. Um, Gen Xers. So basically, we have a whole swath of people who have experienced a negative impact to their mental health through their jobs. Probably something we can all identify with. And it could be for any number of reasons, you know, burnout, caring for uh, family members, older or younger, uh, added responsibilities, stress, financial stress, you know, health issues. We had the whole pandemic, you name it. We have common experiences as human beings. And so we find similarities such as this. Um, and let's go ahead and move to um, the, the next one. And then we'll, uh, we'll take a look and see what people are saying in the chat. Um, just to share some of the things in terms of workplace motivators, like what motivates people. And so, um, Indeed, also found that Gen Z and, and boomers, and again, Ariel just uh, talked about that, like challenging and meaningful work is really important to help keep us engaged. 
for the Gen X people, it's supportive leadership, right? Supportive and caring. For millennials, it's fair compens- compensation. So yeah, we see a little bit of differences, but often it's more like, you know, it's it's uh, challenging and meaningful work is more highlighted among the Gen Z and boomers. And note, the Gen Z and boomers are quite, it's quite a bit of difference um, in age between the two, but um, also having similar motivators. And, um, oh, okay, we'll do one more before we um, will um, go and, and have more of a conversation. So if we move to the next slide. This one is motivators to change jobs. So if you see this one, 70% of younger generation employees, um, they would take a, another job so they could have more control over the work schedule. And I have to say, when I was reading the results, I was like looking at them and I was like, wait, it's 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 a little bit different than 70% because I was including myself in the younger generation. I'm like, oh, oh. Yeah, I'm not I'm not part of that. Uh, what's considered now the younger generation. Um, and then two thirds of those younger generation employees, they would change their jobs for the option to work remotely. And, um, and, you know, part of that might be they have more mobility, because maybe they don't have children or their children are younger, and it's easier to move around, but that's really important to them. And then we also found that uh, two thirds of millennial employees, they would change their jobs for a better work life balance. And 50% of boomers would do that. And so we're seeing basically, I'd say largely similarities, but I'd love to hear just generally, we just talked about motivators to change jobs, motivators to like stay in a job or take a, take a job. I'd first love to hear from, from Ariel and, and Nicole on your thoughts that are coming up around this. And then we'd love to hear from the audience. I think it's interesting that you said that that your um, generational category was not included in this. <laughs> I feel like that's the that's definitely uh, another one of those things that's more of a similarity, right? I think many people are now much more willing to um, change a job for more flexibility, right? Time freedom is like the ultimate compensation now. <laughs> so having the ability to be more flexible, have more control over your own schedule, have more um, you know control over your own life by, by, um, by taking control over your schedule. I think that that's, I would, I, I'm surprised it's only 70%. Honestly, I, I would think it'd be a little bit higher than that. I feel like, um, that's interesting to me. Yeah. To add to your point, Nicole, about, um, time freedom being the ultimate compensation. Um, I'm intrigued by this, this data about working remotely. I, um, from my personal experience, my guess is for some of these people that might be around um, how a commute, how much time the commute can take from your life. Um, in past jobs, if I've worked in the city or if I've worked in Queens or Long Island, that's um, maybe an hour and a half a commute there, an hour and a half commute home. And that's three additional hours on top of the workday that's taken away from my life. So I can guess that that might be why a lot of people would prefer to, to work from home. Right. And it's so funny. And I have to admit my own bias because I'm, um, I'm, well, I, I live in, so I'm I'm far away from the United States at the moment. And so I'm like really working remotely. And um, I forgot, yeah, working remotely just can simply be at home and you're not commuting. And um, and I'm curious with the people in the in the audience, uh, before, say if you were working before in the office before COVID hit and you're now working um at home, did you did you even think about working remotely before COVID hit? And I, I say that because I remember uh, when I was in graduate school and I was commuting and and this was before COVID. And then I started working for NLI and I work remotely. And I just thought my commute, you know, I'm from Los Angeles and I, I my house is in the San Francisco Bay Area. So my commute up in the Bay Area was much less than it would be in Los Angeles. So I thought, oh, my commute is nothing. But when I stopped commuting, I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize how much of my time and my day was taken in the car. So um, yeah, how how was it for other people? So I'm just looking here, saying remote work can be isolating and it doesn't foster teamwork. Some people need both. Never work from home before the pandemic missing one and a half hours of driving. That's a smile. So it's interesting too, because I'm hearing for some people um, that, yeah, maybe there was a commute, but you missed that interaction with people. 
Something and, interesting I just, oh, sorry, Michaela. Yeah, no, go for it. And, Something and, and, interesting I just saw in the chat um, was that uh, someone mentioned they're hearing from their early career employees that they that they they miss the interaction with other folks. And you might think that the early career folks are the folks who are um, more digitally native, if you will, are the ones that want to be working remotely. But um, I have also read that the early career folks tend to be the ones that struggle a little bit more with the all remote environment, right? Because they're missing out on mentorship opportunities or those, you know, if you think back to like your early career, when there was, you know, when you were in an office environment, there was somebody who would take you out to lunch and give you all the details, (laughs) tell you everything you needed to know, you know, maybe they're not getting that opportunity. Um, And on the inverse of that, right, is the later career employees are the ones who are really finding that the the remote work is better than they thought, because, you know, you're used to going into the office, or maybe now you don't have that, that hour and a half commute anymore. And you're thinking, oh, what can I do with that extra hour and a half? Maybe I can <laughs> I cook a little bit more, or I can take a walk or whatever. So it's, it's interesting the, the way that the data actually shakes out. It really does. And to your point, oh, and Ariel, you can go ahead and take down the, um, um, the deck and we can just see the faces. But yeah, I think there was a, a big New York Times article that came out a few weeks ago about that whole phenomenon with the younger generations missing out, especially the ones coming right out of school, because they're not really getting that mentorship and that guidance that just kind of used to naturally happen when you worked all in the same physical space. Um, you know, and talking about the workplace, physical or virtual, um, I'd love to throw out to um, you, Nicole, especially as somebody in the space of of HR and diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, you know, why why do we need to consider, even consider, have this conversation around generational diversity in the workplace? Well, it's really important because for one, we do have four or five uh, generations working together. And this is like the first time since, you know, uh, the first time in history, I think we've had five generations working at one time, but certainly um, it's, a, it's a very broad range of of folks together. So we have a a set of broad communication styles, a set of broad motivators, a set of broad uh, um, collaboration styles, um, a a broad set of the way people understand information and then process that information. So it's it's really important because it's going to impact the way that, you know, a team like mine attracts talent. It's going to impact the way we build diverse teams. And when we think about diversity, like you said at the beginning of the program, you know, we can't be just thinking about um, racial, ethnic, gender diversity. We also have to be thinking about: Are we building those diverse, uh, building that diverse thought through different generations as well? Um, it's going to help determine like our succession planning, and are we are we developing a pipeline of good leaders? Um, and really to be well positioned to compete in a globally competitive marketplace. So it's it's really important that we are considering all the voices um, and not just uh, the ones who've you know been working for a very long time. We have to talk to everybody. Right. So, so important. Um, so I actually, I think we have another poll to launch. We'd like to hear from you. Uh, and if we can launch that poll, it's kind of on that same vein that, so going into, I wanted to, this is about the challenges because I'd like to um, next talk about challenges that we might be facing. So to you, um, the audience, what are the most common challenges you observe in the workplace when it comes to generational diversity? Again, seeing as Nicole said, this is the first time, seems like in history, we've had five five generations, up to five generations in the workplace. So go ahead and put those in. And if there are other ones there that weren't there that are prime for you, then please write them in the chat. So what we're seeing is, what is this? Um, communication, so seeing issues around communication, and and also assumptions made about younger people and differing priorities and transferring knowledge. So, um, you know, with that, let's talk about challenges that we observe and um, or even experience. So um, either Ariel, Nicole invite you to speak, you know, Ariel, from your own personal experience, what you've heard, maybe what you've seen, what you've experienced um, in terms of being a younger person entering the workspace? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I, my first job out of school, I was actually um, recruited into a program and everyone in this program was in Generation Z and we were all dispersed into different locations um, to start working. And the location I was dispersed into, my entire team was um, either Generation X or, or um, Boomers. And this became a little bit of an issue for me only because um, they used to refer to the people in my program as company name kids. And that was kind of hard for me because it felt a little um, discouraging. And I felt like I was working really hard and, and putting a lot of um, prep into my work. And I, it didn't feel like I was being taken seriously as the other people on my team. And I think that because the clients that we worked with were used to working with people a lot older than I was, there was a lot of clients that would not take my calls or would not take me seriously, would not talk to me. And I would have put hours of prep in the night before into, into meeting with clients and they just would not pay attention to me unless my boss was also there. So that was really discouraging and it made me feel like I couldn't really succeed at my job. And were you able to speak with us about, uh, to your supervisor about yeah. your yeah, absolutely. And um, I was told that it's it's kind of unfortunately one of the, the things that we have to deal with in the job. Oh, not the company name kids, but in terms of working with clients, um, I was told that that's just something that I kind of have to um, deal with and just try to assert um, my, my my knowledge and, and, and just keep going, just keep being persistent. Um, and with persistence, some clients eventually would start to, okay, you keep coming. <laughs> okay, you keep sending me things. Okay. I'll, I'll give you some time of day. It didn't work for all of them, but um, I was definitely working really, really hard to overcome that obstacle. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Nicole, what comes to mind as you're hearing Ariel speak? Well, first, sorry that you, <laughs> sorry that you experienced that. I feel like um, calling, calling the group company name kids is, is uh, it's, it's dismissive and it's disrespectful. Surely you were qualified enough to be there. You, they don't need, they don't need to refer to you as a kid. That makes me upset. Sorry. <laughs> um, but, but in any oh. event, <laughs> um, one of the things that's coming to mind, uh, is, is just communication challenges the, the poll said like, what's one of the major challenges? So communication was the number one thing. And that's actually what I was thinking too, was the number one thing. Just if I had to guess what is the the biggest sort of sticking point for, for uh, bringing a team together, that's got a lot of different um, generational diversity in it, it's going to be communication and maybe communication styles. Um, and just, so I, I also am seeing some questions in the chat about like, how do you bring a team together when folks are working across generations? And I think um, being open to different communication, different ways of communicating is probably the the the, the thing to be thinking about because, um, you know, just simply like folks who think texting is the appropriate way to contact versus who thinks a phone call is more appropriate. And, and I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day and it was like, you know, my generation, I, I come from the don't call my house after nine o'clock generation. <laughs> and if you, if you're texting me, it's because there's some sort of like emergency, a phone call is like the more appropriate way to communicate with people. But folks who are more earlier in their career may think the inverse, they don't want to disturb people with a phone call. So they're going to text first. And so just think, about like, okay, how am I communicating? And is this the best way for somebody else to be communicating with me? Like, are they, are we understanding each other? So not looking at it as one's right, wrong, or otherwise, but just thinking about all the ways that we communicate. And if, if you have a lot of um, different communication styles on a team, you can lean into your company values and just be very clear about this is what the expectation is for where we work, right? For this company, this is how we communicate with each other. We send an email, we expect a response and whatever, a couple of hours or 48 hours, whatever it is. And that way it's clear for everybody, right? So it doesn't matter what your own personal thoughts are, what your generation is or what your expectations are. It's just very clear because this is the company culture. Yeah, I think that's so important to note that, you know, the the employers, the organization can really set the tone of, okay, this is how we do things because there can be misunderstandings or the very generational. I remember hearing different stories on, on NPR and national public radio for those who might not be aware of that in the, in the US. Um, and there was one where somebody was talking about um, writing in all caps. So there was a younger man who had a boss who was writing things in all caps. And he was saying, when you write in all caps, that means you are yelling. And so he didn't know how to perceive that of like, okay, older generation, please, you know, maybe you thought it was important, but to a younger generation, that's like the equivalent of yelling. Um, there was one about this, um, this was more a personal thing, a, a, a father 
was texting to his son and he thought LOL, you know, which means laughing out loud. He thought it meant lots of love. And so he was putting that on like kind of inappropriate. I mean, or just like off. And his son was like, what are you doing? And so just kind of understanding the lingo and the ways to communicate, but to Nicole's point, you know, it's really important for, for companies to, to set the tone and say what the expectations are, because then we can reduce all kinds of, of, of misunderstandings. And, you know, we can find this shared way of communicating. Yeah, even on a, on a team, right? Like, even if, even if it's just your team, you can communicate to your team, like, hey, this is how I communicate. This is how I'm, you know, how I expect to be communicated with and just make it really clear. Right. And I would say, and this is actually going outside of the age thing. Um, I know in some of these surveys, they were talking about younger people feeling like they had to show they were working and they had to work all these different hours. And, you know, I think that's something that's very culture specific in an organization. And, um, you know, I was in an organization before NLI where, you know, we, you know, what we did was important, but we really, I, I wasn't, we weren't doing life-saving thing. I'm, I was not a neurosurgeon and had to go into emergency surgery and, you know, do surgery on somebody's brain, but I would stay up late because I'd be working late. Um, that was the culture. And I'd send emails off to people more senior to me and who are actually quite well-known and I, it would be 2 AM and I'd get responses back. And so the message and I got was like, oh, they're always on, they're always answering those emails. I remember getting to NLI and there was more of a culture like, we don't expect you to respond to emails on the weekends. Therefore, we don't expect you to be working on the weekends or even looking at your emails. So even just as, you know, regardless of generations, how do you set that tone of like, which can actually contribute to work-life balance where, yes, we respond, we expect you to respond within X amount of hours during the week and not on the weekend. And simple things like that can set a tone that make a workplace that's more uh, inclusive and, um, you know, more human, I would say for people. So Ariel, what about you? What is coming up for you? In the meantime, I'm going to be looking, I'm listening, but I'm, I'm, I'm also interested in what's happening in the chat. Um, and if you spotted anything in the chat, you'd like to highlight, please do. Yeah, absolutely. I think going along with your last point, that was, I think the one of the first things that my um, boss at my very first job taught me was do not respond after five. <laughs> after five, that's your time. But I can see how at, at different companies that might be different or when working with different people that might be different. That also might have been because I was part of the union at my <laughs> last job, but it was very work is, is X this hour to this hour and the rest is don't respond. Don't respond to calls. Don't take anyone's calls. Um, so, so that's very interesting. Right. I just wanted to know, there was a comment from Mariana. Um, this is in kind of response um, to what you were saying earlier, Ariel. She says, my sister-in-law is 27. And she said that she and another colleague were the youngest and called babies. And she did not mind at all. It felt caring as far as I got it from her. I never thought that this could be about one's competence, just another perspective. And again, it's, you know, def different perspectives for sure um, ar around that. And just seeing somebody highlighting what you were saying, Nicole, about setting clear boundaries is key. Um, Liz was talking about, I'm a boomer and I hate the phone. I love how you put it in all caps. <laughs> Liz, thank you. <laughs> I prefer using it for text only. That's why it's important to ask and not make assumptions. And um, Donna, I used to ask new team members their preferred communication, Slack, email, text, and flex to it. I now ask theirs and tell them what mine is also and what the culture of the system uses. I think it's been helpful. I love yeah. that so much. I think yeah. I think that should that's I think that's exactly like the right the right way to consider. Like just ask folks on your team what's your preference, your pre preferred communication method, and and try to be flexible and open to it, and and not assume, <laughs> not assume, and not assume, right? Yeah. yeah, bring them into the conversation because they they matter. I remember having a colleague uh, at LNI and LI when I joined said, you know. How, how do I best work with you? You know, when, how do you like to communicate when, you know, and I, I so appreciated that. And um, I now try to do that with other people I work with. So um, let's hear more from people in the chat of like, what challenges have you experienced, either experienced or observed in the workplace? Just see what people write in there. 
It is tricky to have to use different channels to communicate with all your team members. I agree, uh, Jean, um, that's a good point. Um, I think maybe that's why maybe setting clear expectations as far as like what the company culture is, right? What the expectation for that is. Um, and just being clear that, you know, we can talk about uh, emails, what's your expectation for responding to emails, things like that. It doesn't have to be specific to every team member, but certainly setting one expectation for the group. All right, let me go down see more comments have come in. Uh, I, have, I have a question for the for the panelists too. Um, in terms of how do you think your workplace can better support you from your own gener generational point of view? Are there things that your workplace could be doing more of or that you would be suggesting um, that could be more supportive? Yeah, Eric, you want to start? Yeah, I think um, if organizations were prioritizing generational diversity um, as a factor when hiring, I think that that would be great because it's it's really nice to work with members of different generations, especially in terms of understanding different perspectives and um, for mentorship. I think that's a huge thing, especially for me as someone who's very early in my career. It's, it's very cool to learn from people um, within different generations and get different perspectives. No, I definitely think that's true. Mentorship, I think um, when you say prioritizing generational diversity at, at higher, but also once someone's employed, you know, certainly employee resource groups can be helpful with that too. Um, you know, we have talked probably about employee resource groups related to gender and ethnicity, but certainly one for early career um, employees, one for caregivers, one for um, more senior employees, and then having the opportunity to communicate across those so that you can be learning more about each other. Nicole, I was just wondering about from your question, and I, I wonder to what extent HR professionals in workforce planning, I know the phenomenon of, you'll, you know, you'll hire people and usually it's the younger people who are in those entry level positions and, you know, ostensibly they'll have the opportunity to develop depending on the company and they might even have, you know, leadership training programs. But have you heard of companies who also think of like, we are going to hire um, maybe somebody younger at, I don't want to say a mid-level, but maybe at a higher position. And we are literally going to already start training them to begin with, rather than they kind of have to start at the bottom. But we are going to bring in somebody younger who has some skills, but maybe they don't have the experience. And we're going to do even more direct leadership training. Does that, does that make our development training? I, I, yeah, I have heard of, I've, you're talking about like management training programs and things like I, that. I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but certainly like, there are a lot of companies that do that. So yeah. But, 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 much, but much more targeted, like we are already identifying you even coming in, not like you have to come in, show yourself for three years, and then we'll put you through something. Yeah, I, I think just, there's, I think there's a lot of programs that do that based on someone's experience or not experience, education, right? And uh, so if you've achieved a certain amount of education that perhaps you skip the experience portion of the qualification and, and maybe you can be um, you know, targeted for some more um, leadership type training. I've also seen sort of returnships, which is the inverse of what you're talking about, which is where, you know, it's not early career folks in the entry, in entry level roles necessarily, but somebody who maybe is a career changer, but has experience in, uh, in another industry who wants to maybe switch into something else. It might be more senior, but is going to start at maybe a more entry level role in a different industry or something like that. So opportunities to do that, or maybe has been out of the workforce for a while, but uh, wants to come back and try something different. So, so there's, a, there's opportunities to, um, to bring people in at different levels of experience or education at different places in an organization. All right. And I just want to highlight, I know we've talked a lot about Gen Z and even Gen Z, Gen X. I'd love to hear, we'd love to hear from, um, you know, boomers uh, from, uh, let's see, okay, or more Gen X even, but um, older more senior, better, however you want to describe it. Definitely want to have those voices there, whether they're your own or those uh, voices of those you know and are familiar with. Just want to make sure that we're inclusive here. So I really appreciate, Nicole, you bringing in the returnships because there's a thing of also people from older generations um, who who are, are coming in and still in the workforce. And um, so I'm just reading through these categories. Oh, but Nicole, how, how would you say, um, you know, especially from an uh, analyzed perspective, like how can, what would you suggest for workplaces to better support 
their people. And I say broadly, their people. I, I think it, it goes back to something that Ariel said uh, about being intentional about inclusion and being intentional about supporting folks early in career, late in career, mid-career, like everybody, like what, what programs do we have in place that are supportive for everybody throughout the career life cycle? Because the motivations are going to be different depending on where you are in that career life cycle, right? So understanding each each group's motivation. And you, you, you know, we talked about what different motivating factors are for each group. Although work-life balance seems to be like across the board, everybody wants to make, make sure that they're doing that well. And then um, be open to adapting to different communication styles, or at least open to the possibility that the way that maybe someone mid-career has been doing it for 10, 15 years, isn't the only way that's effective. Um, resisting assumptions, uh, resisting the temptation to be th uh, threatened by uh, working with someone from a different generation, whether that's someone who's more senior in their career or someone who's more early in their career. Um, so resisting those temptations. And then I, I think just um, looking for opportunities to integrate age diverse perspectives into everything that you're doing so that you can facilitate that cross-generational transfer of knowledge. So if, if you're putting together a work group, if you're putting together a team, look at the diversity on that team. Do you have someone who's are you representing all of the um, generational perspectives on that team? Because, you know, diversity of thought, we know that diverse teams perform better, right? So that includes uh, generational diversity as well. So I think those are the things that I would suggest. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And I'm just looking through the chat. And thank you so much for all of you and this rich, uh, the rich comments you're putting in there. Uh, I just want to add from Edwin, who said there is a new career category for the season worker known as legacy career. And it's primarily those over 50. So we always have these new categories emerging. And I saw a lot about people saying, you know, there's in addition to what Nicole is saying, um, in terms of offering support, like coaching people. Somebody said, um, we can't assume that employees are self-aware or sensitive enough to be successful in multi-generational workplace teams and relationships. We should provide coaching. And that's what some of the literature and the organizational management um, sciences are saying as well is provide people with coaching and, you know, be very clear on expectations and goals and communication and, you know, talk about this and help people um, learn better lines of communication. And it, when we think about it, again, in terms of generations, but we can just think about that as right as human beings in the workplace, that's going to benefit us, whether or not we're considering age, but it can definitely help when we think about the challenges that come around age. Um, Francine, uh, said, I went to a PhD workshop about working with generations in the workplace, and the presenter discussed leveraging the skill sets of the different generations that you work with. So I asked colleagues um, with different skill sets to mine, like Excel, to collaborate with me. And I always like to think of like the superpowers, like we all have these skills and we're on teams, let's bring them all together and, 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 and really understand uh, everybody on the team and in the organization. So uh, there's so much more here, but I, maybe we should think about like, you know, as we're drawing to a close, um, like the future. Um, what do you think, what would we like the future to hold when we, um, you know, when we consider this and as we're all getting older or better, as we say, we're gonna have more, genera more generations coming in. And as we tend to work, till older ages, who knows, maybe there'll be six, seven generations in the workplace. So uh, what are what are your hopes for the future, expectations for the future? Um, Ariel, how about you share some of your thoughts with us? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, a growth mindset is really, really huge, uh, just to tie it to NLI. <laughs> a growth mindset is huge for embracing the positive aspects of generational diversity and, and all of the amazing things that you can learn from working with people from five generations. And I see that Dr. Don put a comment in the chat. Um, what about a growth mindset program for all? I think that that's definitely a huge thing to embrace um, for everyone. Yes. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, I was just saying in terms of what do I what do I hope to see in the future? I mean, I uh, I saw a comment about a, a couple of comments about uh, someone seventy plus uh, still working um, like uh, not legacy career encore careers, um, which are becoming more yeah popular. Even as even if someone retires from one career and decides to go part time in another, just I think that's going to become um, much more popular as as time goes on, and um, people are probably going to continue to be working. 
um, you know, longer and longer. So I, my hope is that we, um, you know, can embrace that as a possibility and, and really um, not expect people to work for X number of years. And then like, you know, right off into the sunset, like we can be utilizing people's um, vast experience and um, really, uh, really mining somebody's like lengthy career. And um, so I hope that, that, as the, the future holds like a lot of um, opportunities for folks to to stay working as long as they want to and to continue to feel valued for as long as they're able to. Um, and then it's it's not just sort of like you work, you retire and, and that's it. Right. And I think things have shifted and changed, right? There's innovation. I've learned so much now about the legacy. I think I'd heard about the return shifts and you just mentioned this, the encore of why do we have to do things the way they used to be done? There are many different ways we can show up in the world. And, you know, there's a lot of research in psychology that talks about meaning is so important to existence mm-hmm. um, and especially with work. It's like important to have meaningful work. And some of the things we find that when people even retire, it's like, oh, they're just sitting there. And, hmm. and my, my father retired <laughs> twice um, or he went back to work twice because he was so bored being retired and he wanted to be um, really engaged with his mind and socially. And so I really appreciate that people are creating new ways of being in the world and and um, kind of cueing to us younger generations what could be for us and even more. Who knows? I think the um, as we say, the world is our oyster and um, there's so much possibility for us to engage. Um, I just want to note Julie's comment. Uh, so what is this? I have experienced same repeat experience with a colleague in 40s commenting that they have old eyes and that they are old. This person is nearly 20 years younger than a couple of us on the team. So is those, it's also self-conceptions, right? And just anyway, how our conceptions of, I mean, they can be very individual of our, what does, you know, what aging means for me might mean something very different from Nicole or for Ariel. And I think if anything for us to understand that and definitely as leaders and organizations to understand, we ultimately have individuals coming into the space who have many different types of aspects of their identity, whether it's their age, their ethnicity, their educational background, um, their geographical background, that let's treat humans as humans and create environments, again, where they can be their best selves, engage in meaningful work, and, you know, produce hopefully amazing things. And um, so I, I would love to ask Nicole and Ariel for any of their final words as we draw to a close. I think you said it beautifully, Michaela, like let's provide opportunities for folks to have work that's meaningful for them so that they continue to want to do it as long as they're willing and able to. Absolutely. And thank you for this discussion. This is, this is, this is really nice. Thank you for joining us, both of you. And Shelby, thank you for this opportunity. Pure Braid at Work is produced by the Neuroleadership Institute. You can help us make organizations more human and higher performing by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to this podcast. Our producers are the Neuroleadership Institute marketing and brand team, including Shelby Wilburn, Evan McFalls, Tony Clare, Allison James, and many, many more. Thanks so much for being here with us today, and we hope to hear from you again soon. Take care.